Hello and welcome to Live Out Loud, an Axis podcast for and by artists with me, Lucy Wright. So you might have noticed that we've been on a brief hiatus since the last episode of Live Out Loud season one aired back in the summer. We're hoping to come back with a whole new series sometime in the new year, and we've been working on lots of exciting things behind the scenes to share with you when the time comes. But for now, we're really happy to be able to squeeze in one final bonus episode for 2020 before this incomparable year draws to a close. As many of you know, we set up the Live Out Loud podcast during the last lockdown because we knew that many artists might be feeling disconnected from their community and sometimes from their practice itself. So it seems appropriate as we come to the end of lockdown 2.0 to share just one more conversation to hopefully help you feel inspired and motivated as we move forwards into those long winter months. For those of you not already familiar with Axis, we're a charity committed to supporting artists and showcasing the work they do. We run commissions and residencies, provide insurance, spaces and mentoring, and we also profile our members in a range of different ways from our online platform, www.accessweb.org. This episode is a special one, as it's the first time that we'll be showcasing our Artist of the Month. This usually takes the form of a written interview, which you can read online, but on this occasion we've opted to record it instead on the request of December's artist, Melisandre Varin. We thought this was a great idea. Uh, It's something we'd like to do more of in the future. So here is a special one-to-one conversation between Melisandre and Axis's programme producer, Harlan Whittingham. Melisandre's work is concerned with collaboration, parenting, identity formation, and the problematic whiteness of cultural and educational institutions, amongst many other things. And as Melisandre's practice often involves new and sometimes unedited forms of knowledge making and sharing, we're leaving this interview pretty raw, as recorded, and as always it's reflective of the limitations of the technology available to us as we continue to work from home. This is a great conversation and a new format for us, so I hope you like it. I'm going to hand over now to Harlan and Melisandre for the rest of the episode. Enjoy! Um, Okay, well I'll start, I guess, um, I should start by introducing you. I'm speaking with Melisandre Varin, is that pronounced correctly? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to talk today a little bit about your practice and a few kind of themes that surround it um, and some of the opportunities you've had recently. Um, so I thought, first of all, just um, whether you just wanted to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a bit about some of the work that you do. Mm. Okay, so let's try for... <laughs> So basically, what, what, why I'm laughing is because every time I have to introduce myself, I give another version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, uh, take the exercise once, once more. So I self-identify as a black uh, queer uh, co-parent, um, engaged in multiplicity. Multiplicity is, really is my practice, I think, because um, it doesn't, um, my practice doesn't lie on rely on one specific media, <clears throat> one specific medium, sorry, but rather uh, on fluid ideas and whether, whether those ideas can um, express themselves through, through movies, through poetry films, through um, installations, through co- collabor- collaborative uh, work that doesn't really have one specific medium. Um, I'm just uh, like taking the wave, uh, and trying to articulate thoughts, very much like trying to articulate feelings uh, through 
different mediums at hand. So by any means necessary, <laughs> I will um, you know, try to engage in the ongoing conversations uh, that surrounds the fact that uh, there is still an ongoing war against black bodies um, in, the, uh, well, in the world in general, but um, my focus is very much uh, from my own positionality as a, uh, an Afro and Caribbean person living in the global north, specifically living in uh, white Europe. Um, maybe a bit more? <laughs> or is that enough? Um, I mean, this, we can go from there, I suppose. The, um, you mentioned sort of um, collaboration. Um, and I thought that was really interesting about your work that you sort of, you're part of a lot of different groups. They all seem to sort of have their own um, different identities. And the way, even just before, when you were talking about the, uh, the work behind you on the wall, the way that you wanted to name it, it was important that it was either anonymous or it had a collective mm -hmm. name. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I just wondered whether you could um, talk a little bit about that and how, um, I guess, yeah, thinking about these notions of collectivity and identity. Yeah. Um, okay, let me uh, try to give it a go. Um, I think that um, the way I was trained, so I've been quite traumatized by uh, my education in general. So first uh, I was educated, um, I was schooled in France, uh, in the suburbs of Paris, then moved to the, uh, because you have to understand the, 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 the trajectory, I think, then moved to the uh, south of France, Toulouse, uh, then had the opportunity to go and study um, uh, Mandarin in China, in, in China, in Shanghai, uh, from there, go to Laopedia to live um, and engage in different um, activist groups uh, focused on, on, um, on uh, environmental justice very much. Then I did, I, I came for the first time in, um, in the UK to do my master's degree in environment and sustainable development at UCL. And uh, ended up, anyway, like uh, ended up uh, doing a PhD uh, here. Uh, at Warwick University in Coventry and also in Luxembourg, uh, in, so both in language sciences and in uh, theater and performance studies. And I'm saying this because all the way through my education, I feel or I felt that I've been trained to perform uh, individuality, to perform a certain idea of success, of uh, modernity also, like, but, but uh, down to the micro scale of uh, one body. Um, so when I started to uh, really uh, put my work out there, uh, it was really important for me to put my name on it uh, and say, like, this is what Nelson Varin is doing. Uh, and I feel a, a huge sense of proud, you know, uh, to be part of this uh, 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 individualist, uh, capitalist world and like, to, yeah, uh, perform right or how I was being, uh, I'd been trained to. Uh, but then um, I've been so lucky to grow more humble uh, alongside amazing uh, human beings. So it, it didn't start like uh, after my studies, but um, just about also um, a switch, uh, a shift in perception. So things that I would see as uh, negative before, because I was trained to um, um, buy and to uh, uh, engage in white scripts. Uh, a very singular, <laughs> sing, uh, singular, very monolithic uh, way of seeing the world and of uh, understanding what knowledge is and what uh, uh, dissemination of knowledge uh, uh, could be. Uh, 
um, I, I would uh, I would completely disregard um, the, um, the rich uh, heritages that I have coming from a family from uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, Guadeloupe, Benin, and also having like just those mad waves of uh, diasporic heritages, uh, you know, being born in uh, uh, in Europe. Um, so this will, will be like the things that I experience at home, but I wouldn't you, like consider it as knowledges uh, or like want uh, to engage with uh, those different cultures. It was rather like, oh, I, I need to, if I need to uh, be in this world, it means that I need to uh, code switch. So uh, to engage with a certain uh, level of language uh, to, um, you know, just perform uh, whiteness basically to, to, to manage to, to, to make my own way. But uh, then when I started to engage in discourses around indigenous knowledge systems, uh, race uh, theories, uh, things like that, you know, uh, at the university level, I just, I, it's only, I was already 20 something, 20, 25 years old, so very late in my uh, uh, short life. <laughs> um, but I started to, to, to realize that, oh, well, Mel, uh, wait a minute, it's, there, is no, well, there, is not, there is no one route, you know, to uh, discover yourself and to, for you to contribute to the society. Um, and um, that's the starting point when I started to reconsider conversations with my grandmother, just being with my grandmother, you know, physically being together and just uh, receiving, receiving our energies, hearing our stories, um, and also uh, re re um, re uh, me remembering my childhood uh, was uh, such a, a powerful um, element in, in my uh, path towards uh, the kinds of art that I wanted to make. Uh, because then the personal was not only political, because yeah, I didn't say, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a decolonial feminist. Uh, it wasn't only political, it was what life was ultimately about, you know, just to um, make sure that the interconnections between personal testimonies, personal stories, uh, and intimate stories will be then part of a wider web when um, uh, human beings, not only human beings, but beings in general, uh, manage to interact and uh, like send and receive energies from one another and just uh, try to uh, then my ultimate goal will just to try to contribute in this and try to um, do my my little bit to make sure that uh, I, not, I contribute in nurturing these uh, um, crazy webs. So I look back, just to <laughs> go back to the question. So in terms of collaboration, I first look back to my own family lineage and reconsider the past to uh, be uh, um, a more sensitive uh, family member <laughs> uh, and more sensitive uh, person in general, you know, and from there, by, by like nurturing this uh, sensitivity of mine, um, without um, uh, letting on the side uh, a Eurocentric vision of what uh, family is, uh, of what art is and so on, um, I managed then to open up a bit more to uh, other beings and I was welcomed by different groups. So now I'm part of a self-organized community garden uh, in Coventry, you don't have to know the details of it because uh, not everyone can do it. Anyway, so uh, from this, uh, I'm also part of um, uh, an art collective made, made of uh, exclusively, exclusively made of women and non-binary beings. Uh, and 
yeah, making also Afro-feminist performances uh, with a friend uh, that is living in Brussels, but we're making those performances in Luxembourg. And so she's based in Brussels, I'm based in Luxembourg, uh, in uh, Coventry, and we're making stuff for Luxembourg. <laughs> so it's quite interesting, you know, in terms of um, exploring our Afropeanity, Afropean identities, um, and also to realize once more, not only like through the, uh, the work of others, but through our own experiences of the world, how um, being a, a black person in a predominantly white settings uh, influences the, the uh, negatively, <laughs> but influences negatively the way uh, we manage to perform uh, everyday, uh, everydayness. I don't know if I can say this, but if we, uh, as we manage to, to perform uh, existence and resistance, and also uh, just uh, how we manage to be, you know. So it's uh, with um, so the person that I'm talking about is uh, Jennifer Lopez Santos. We're uh, making performance a series of performances that are called uh, under the name Papaya uh, for the EU city, an uh, EU capital of culture in 2022. And basically, the way uh, we both uh, experience gendered racism is. Um, uh, Terribly the same. I don't. I, I, I don't find, quite find the, the the right adjective. But uh, it's sadly the same. Although we're living on diff, two different, completely different nations, uh, completely different, uh, you know, uh, cultures. But because uh, we are black in predominantly white settings, it is uh, a struggle, you know, to to make art, to 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 live uh, out of it as well. And also to engage with one another, uh, with uh, different beings, including to uh, engaging with um, Afro descendants uh, in, those, uh, in our specific settings. And uh, basically, our conversations are just enriched by the fact that we just taking five minutes of conversation with Jen, we just like, oh, you know what? This is uh, an heritage of colonialism because this, that, that, that. So, yeah, our conversations have uh, really also. Um, Feed, fed, fed by um, uh, lots of readings, Afro-feminist readings that we do, and uh, just the way we engage uh, in the world anyway. So that was, um, yeah, and let's get about collaboration that I wanted also to mention because so it's like the basis, basis of my work. Um, it's also, to, to me, it was also a matter of um, reconsidering those that are underrepresented uh, within the arts as completely capable <laughs> of, uh, you know, of uh, producing arts, of producing knowledges and of sharing it, sharing it on their own terms. So what I did as well is not only to work with uh, women non-binary beings or with uh, black, uh, self-identified black artists, but also to uh, re-engage with my own, uh, uh, with my own child, really. Uh, that was, and, uh, that was so what I was going to ask next was, um, You've kind of, it sounds as if um, uh, working with other people and being able to access these groups and share knowledge is like really sort of nourishing um, mm -hmm. and being able to kind of reach back um, into your, your own heritage um, and pull, um, pull on those kind of references and influences. And all of that seems really, really, really nourishing to kind of you and your practice. I'd noticed that some of the, the work that you do or some of the more recent work, uh, it, is uh, you collaborate with the child that you co-parent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is it Eol? Um, yeah, yeah. And um, it was interesting just how 
yeah i don't know how this kind of uh, direction of nourishment almost is kind of maybe almost going in the other sense or like it's, it goes both ways you know it's like you're also um kind of nourishing this child and uh, mm-hmm. this uh, collaborative partner and i just thought that was um yeah really great i just wondered if you could talk a bit more about that relationship yeah yeah i think it's really interesting i love the way that you use uh, this word nourishing because um then in relation to uh, my collaboration and me living you know uh four hours with Eol <laughs> uh, a day i think there is um there is the word uh nour- nourishment nour- nourishing the activity nourishing but then uh when you take a deeper look at, uh, at what it is, you know, in the everyday life. It's uh, very much a violent process. Um, and I will use the example of uh, breastfeeding then uh, to, to, to explain a bit more on this. So Eol and I, we started to collaborate together because um, we didn't have the choice uh, because I was doing my PhD at the time and I was an unpaid worker. Um, and I had uh, the opportunity to do an art, uh, an art uh, residency with uh, Talking Birds, a local um, uh, cultural organization in Coventry. Um, but it was uh, during uh, lockdown number one in the UK. So suddenly I was with, uh, uh, with, uh, with my child, you know, at home and uh, alone. So we had to find our own ways to, to, to make together. And um, it led me to um, reconsider the fact that like everything that I do, you know, is performance. I I wouldn't be able to uh, remind myself uh, the name of this uh, person who wrote about everyday performance. Um, Well, uh, Judith Butler, maybe? Mm, No, someone else. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> this uh, conversation is not about this person. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so everything that we did uh, was performance in a way because uh, we were first uh, engaging in the world uh, within uh, social, so, uh, like harsh social constructions. Um, and so that, that led me to be unpaid at home, taking care of the, of the child while it wasn't my choice, right? But then uh, a way for me to like see it positively and to experience it, uh, experience it otherwise had been to integrate, uh, to not to integrate, but rather to welcome, to make space, to hold space for Aeol to co-create with me during the, this residency. And uh, the outcome of it has been a huge humbling process for me, but also ex- extreme exhaustion, really, because it wasn't like you could, uh, you can, uh, when you can collaborate with uh, another adult, you know, you can have plans and uh, like conversations about respect, things like that. Well, uh, with Eol, uh, it was, and at the time, Eol was 15 months old and still breastfeeding. So it was very much, um, okay, um, I wanted to do something like a perform, so for example, a performance in, uh, using um, child friendly uh, materials uh, and I, I used extensively flour and uh, compost at the time to start to engage in conversations about uh, uh, race, colorism, uh, because my, yeah, I didn't say my child is uh, mixed race. So for me, it's really important also to have uh, this level of conversation uh, like from a really young age. I'm not preparing my child to uh, I have to fight in the world, but I'm preparing my child to be a, a humble uh, feminist person in the world so that uh, they don't, they don't uh, crush others, you know, to succeed, so to succeed. 
ultimately, that's my, my aim. <laughs> uh, so, uh, during those performances, uh, I will be constantly, constantly interrupted by Aeol uh, wanting uh, something like, because I was uh, not only collaborating, but also the prime carer, having to provide stuff for Aeol. For, uh, uh, so I will have to breastfeed all extensively, like maybe, I don't remember, like 10 times a day, something like that. I was exhausted because it's taking uh, uh, like lots of your energies, but also it's, it's an interruption in your day because you have to stop doing anything else to breastfeed, you know? You have to sit down or what, you, have, yeah, you have to commit to this specific time. Um, so uh, back to the, this, uh, the, this word that uh, struck me when you spoke, uh, nourishment. So I had to, nourishment was, um, uh, in this precise example, it was about making space, holding space for us to create, uh, us being Aeol and I to create, but also like very much the uh, raw, uh, disgusting <laughs> to be part of it. That was like, you're when the child grabs your boobs and it's now, you know, you have to feed me now. And so it's a bit of, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's nourishment, I think is that, me, my understanding of it is, is, is not uh, the fantasized, fantasized idea of it, but very much like the complex uh, um, intersections of what nourishing means. Uh, and sometimes it, it looks uh, quite ugly, you know. So I quite like this word, um, but taking uh, it from a perspective of decomposition. Uh, I think I stopped. Sorry, I didn't really talk about collabor collaboration. Uh, like no, that's great. Um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier um, when you were talking about some of the materials you were using. Um, and I guess as well, this is partly due to, um, you know, it's situational and, you know, the, the kind of day-to-day -day struggles. But you, you talk about a lot about these uh, very everyday materials. You, you mentioned compost and um, flour just then. Um, and I wondered, I'd noticed that within a, um, while watching some of your other uh, videos, um, and I wondered, yeah, what, what those sort of um, everyday materials mean to you or, or why you've made those decisions? Mm. Um, so back to the beginning of the conversation, I think uh, to me, like limiting myself to use everyday materials, is first um, was first initially a level of making sure it's safe for uh, Aeol to engage with. But uh, then when I started to analyze why and uh, uh, the way I was using this, uh, those everyday materials, I think it's very much about uh, making sure that people like my grandmother, but uh, like consider uh, art spaces as white spaces, uh, if it's under a bit uh, of uh, an underground space, then it's for hippie white people. Or if it is like an institutional uh, an institution, then it is for white middle class, upper class people, you know. But it's never she never she never thinks that those uh, spaces are for her. So for me, it's a matter of uh, like switching the perception and realizing that actually uh, my I call my grandmother Mamu. What you're doing, you know, in your everyday life is uh, amazing and it's very so much elements of art within it. And it's just a matter of how um, we perceive it, how we engage it with, uh, with it, and how we, we then share about it or to, uh, uh, talk about it, you know. So it's a matter of making sure that uh, um, 
all of us, all of us can feel and uh, think that what we're doing in the everyday is not just uh, like the um, uh, consequences of our system, but it's actually that we actually have agencies of our things, you know. So um, I use lots of um, uh, food materials, but also domestic stuff that I uh, find um, in my plate. Um, for example, <laughs> I use lots of uh, uh, empty, emptied uh, transparent jars uh, from a former like tomato sauce or whatever was inside. And then inside, I, 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 I say that I could use them uh, after um, uh, researcher um, Sarah, Sarah Ahmed, uh, that is a huge uh, inspiration of mine. Um, so I actually do like um, uh, menstrual infusions in them, or I, I, I sweep, I whip, sweep the floor with uh, aeol, uh, that is now almost two years old, and uh, we just jar uh, uh, dust, whether it's domestic dust or now at the gallery, it's uh, dust created by uh, visitors of the gallery or by like, you know, uh, so my, my, my dog also often come to the gallery. Uh, it's just dust that we co-create with the space, right? So jarring them and like being, uh, uh, taking some time, uh, some time to just uh, to meditate on uh, what is included in this jar and to think back and think uh, like, uh, so there is not a uh, critique of our time. It's not like past, present, uh, future. It's all to me, it's, uh, uh, all encompassed in these uh, jars. And uh, those jars, um, I initially started to use them as a way to make a counter-hegemonic uh, uh, ethnography, auto-ethnography of what I was doing. So instead of, uh, anyway, I didn't have the time to sit down and write <laughs> long paragraphs about what I was doing. So I thought I'd just make jars, you know. Uh, and uh, sometimes I also write poetry, uh, not because I'm a great poet, but because I have a very little time and uh, I operate within the tight interruptions <laughs> uh, so I don't have time to, to you know sit down and write uh, extensively I just and anyway the, what is important to me is the feelings it's like capturing the feeling of a moment and so I, I do it uh, with very short um, uh, poetry or I do it with uh, my uh, <laughs> transparent jars and it's, it's a matter and then um, individually to me both stuff they don't mean anything they don't mean anything. It's only when they are um, assembled with other stuff, whether it is uh, assembled with an art space, whether it is assembled with moving images, um, it's only, they only mean something when in relation. The, the thing that you mentioned about um, uh, like working within the time constraints that you've got, I think that's really interesting and how that sort of informs the um you know the the processes that you go through when you make work and i guess also the form of it um mm -hmm. i was thinking a little bit about the the videos that i've seen of yours which i think are amazing and they very it's very um they're very like performative as if um you know with few edits it's almost as if it reminds me of kind of the older sort of video artists that maybe would just edit in camera you know so they would just mm -hmm. stop start and that would be it um, and it's like a really kind of, yeah, that, that sort of um, working within time constraints and things being very in the, done in the present and not kind of overproduced. Um, 
yeah I think that's great like I, I wish that I had the sort of confidence to do that within my own work um but yeah I don't know is the more um outside of it as a time constraint like what does that kind of presentness mean you mentioned sort of trying to capture like a feeling you know mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and and really drawing attention to this to like the now and all these sort of entanglements that are part of it whether that's these past historical references whether that's your child whether that's the dust on the floor you know mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. um first i want to say thank you that's okay <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I've, yeah. Um, I think uh, it is something that I inherited from my mother that uh, passed away, I don't know, uh, 15 years ago. Um, so my mother uh, from birth was um, uh, physically disabled. And uh, uh, just as she, she died when she was 42 years old um, and had a ge- degenerative um, uh, illness. So her body just, uh, uh, I don't uh, know how to do it, but uh, do you, if I make the gesture, could you find the world? What? Um, kind of hunched or f- folded in on itself. Fold, um, folded on itself, yeah. Um, and still, you know, uh, she was suffering so much, uh, had to take care of three children. Uh, and still she was uh, uh, this incredibly creative person, you know? So to me, um, actually have, having to have time constraints is a privilege um, because it uh, allows you to like step back uh, off of your work and just to like <laughs> real, um, uh, take in what is the reality on the ground, you know? What are the conditions under which you are op- operating? So it forces uh, me uh, not to uh, cr- create or make or think or talk about work that are, that are uh, in isolation, but about uh, like to do stuff in relation. So I've always operated in urban um, settings. So to me, the like fast-paced life Fast-paced, fast-paced life has always been, uh, uh, how to say, the rhythm under which I could uh, produce or unproduce, you know. And having ha- had a, a child uh, that is uh, um, preschool age, so, uh, so that I have to take care extensively to take care extensively of the child, is an an. Um, a privilege is a, a, a source of inspiration because um, it shows me that actually, like, I don't have to engage in this fast-paced life to, to, to exist or to create. Actually, I'm more um, creative when I, I spend a bit of time in the woods, when I just walk in a, in a park, you know, when I, I, I live, actually, you know? So I think there is this... Um, um, tension and uh, realization of my body, but uh, working is not a, uh, something that is limited into my own understanding of it, and not limiting uh, into uh, one media medium or one uh, way of you know, sitting down somewhere in front of a desk at a computer and replying to emails. This is only part of a, of a whole, and this is going to be interrupted uh, no matter how many times, 
and it's not a mat it's the mat like what i'm trying to do to grow more humble is not to uh just leave frustration for frustration for the sake of it but to actually like um breathe in the frustration and try to transform stuff uh from this uh, from these feelings and from other feelings so it's all about transformation transform uh, but not only like individual transformation but transformations that then lead and then feed into a, transforma a transformative change uh, for the many. So it is always a reminder, a reminder that everything is, in, inter is interdependent of one another and that um, what I do uh, as a single person doesn't matter really. You know, it's, uh, it's a real, I think that what I'm trying to say is that um, everything counts uh in the process uh, in the create in the creative process that i'm engaged in and it's not only when i'm like oh i'm feeling so uh, inspired so i'm going to write this long this um medium-sized poet poetry and be really proud of myself this poetry is actually coming not only from uh my childhood memories or from my day-to-day -day struggles or whatever actually this poetry is uh coming from uh uh, a collision of this with uh, uh, the struggles that my ancestors have been through. So it's about realizing that uh, in terms of time and space, things are not so so, so separated, and it's actually that everything is in a it is fluid. And for me to be able to write a sentence or to um, do a performance, I'm not. Uh, um, it is not not done by me only it is uh the result of uh of energies that are coming from far you know uh, in the past future whatever how we divide times or uh, in terms of space as well so i think i should also say a bit more about space i've not um um i've been really um lucky not to have to, for my family to have been displaced in a way uh, because then I, I got from a very young age i realized that actually i would not um, be able to realize myself from a specific territory and i'm using territory uh, uh, with the old with the nationalist nationalist discourse behind it you know of uh, stepping onto a land and calling it your own you know so my my father my mother uh, like my, my whole family lineage they haven't been able to uh, engage in this kind of uh, uh, fiction i call it fiction in this kind of fiction because of uh, uh, colonialism slavery and uh, the, the, the aftermath of it so at the, from um, uh, when i was a child i would feel a bit uh, of a discomfort always trying to belong, you know, somewhere to have uh, this group of friends that I will see uh, on TV, um, uh, to belong also to a certain idea of beauty. Uh, I, will, I will just wear my uh, t-shirt over my head uh, so that I could pretend that I had the uh, beautiful flowing hair, you know, that I will see on the TV. Uh, and also, um, I didn't uh, engage in practice of uh, skin bleaching myself, but I would like be more attracted by uh, lighter skinned people and ultimately by white people. Um, so 
but ha ha having the constant reminder that this is a fiction, you know, because at home uh, I will hear my uh, parents, family, uh, friends, uh, just uh, just having conversations about the fact that, oh, okay, we're in France, but for these reasons, like this person um, uh, started to debate my identity, my right to belong here. Uh, and, uh, so those discourses about belonging and belonging were, were always uh, present in my head. And then a very materialistic uh, vision of it because uh, uh, I don't come from a, a upper class or middle class family. So I would have to share my rooms with uh, one, two or whatever, how many uh, sisters and cousins, you know. So this was also like a very harsh reminder that, okay, man, <laughs> you're on this, uh, on, this, uh, on this world, you know, but uh, this is not, uh, you cannot have a, a place of your own, you know, like we, we, we're making with us, we try, with the space is in constant transformation, depending on how many people are, are sleeping in this bedroom. And this is not yours, like it's for you to, to sleep in and to like uh, replenish your energies, but that's it, not your place, you know. So I was really uh, jealous of friends, like, oh, I'm going back to, um, uh, uh, from um, at a higher education uh, stage, I'm going back to my place, uh, to like going back to the bedroom and all. I would, I've never experienced uh, like having a place of, on my, of my own, you know. And I think, uh, I will see it uh, negatively before, but now that I'm uh, uh, well, more ma mature, I think that actually uh, the seeing this uh, as negative before was a fiction, like me engaging in the fiction. And actually it was what my parents gave me is uh, of a great force, of a great value, because uh, you know, if, if not every human being have a, a place of their own, then no human being should have one, you know? So it's a matter of uh, whether we all, all have uh, space and try to make great with uh, like the ecosystems we're living in, or um, we, some of us have to like uh, down, uh, a step down and uh, like uh, give away their privileges for those that are, do, do not have to like experience what it means to live, but not only to live, but to live well. So, uh, I don't re really know why I'm talking about this, but I really wanted to talk about this. Uh, I think it leads to me like being in this space and having the privilege to uh, you know, ex um, exhibit some work, to talk about my practice, to talk about my work. Um, very early in the stage um, of uh, this residency, I felt super uncomfortable about having something only about me. Uh, and uh, I wanted to, you know, just to open up the space because the space, even for a month, this space is not mine, you know. I'm here and I'm really happy to maintain the space and to make sure that life comes, uh, comes in and comes through. Uh, but um, um, so I had to put together uh, an invitation to invite other people, uh, so, uh, but self-identify as black, queer, uh, artist parents to come in the space and to be able also to, to, to use the space, to make with the space, uh, to share their work, uh, and to draw uh, otherwise from the space, from interactions, um, and, and so on and so on. And I think that um, the more those residencies um, uh, develop, the more there will be uh, like time for sharing, uh, sharing space, sharing knowledges, uh, 
perhaps sharing bodies. <laughs> but uh, in terms of performance, uh, but yeah, um, I don't remember why I'm talking about this. But uh, yeah, I wanted also to talk about an edition in, in my work. Talk about <laughs> what? Sorry. An edition. Oh yeah, yeah. You mentioned it uh, uh, in regards to films uh, that uh, I'm doing. Uh, it's always uh, in relation to uh, um, material capacity. So because I'm uh, often an unpaid worker, I don't have that amount of time to put together a, a video. Um, because I'm, uh, um, well, I'm an unpaid worker. Uh, behind it is because that I'm, uh, you know, black queer person and. and I'm an artist parent, I don't have uh, the luxury of just having lots of time to engage in uh, edition of video. But it's very much, I, I love it so much because uh, to, uh, I mean, the, an edition process uh, that I'm trying to engage in because it, um, an edition uh, tells even like uh, as much as the, 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 the idea that is uh, expressed by the video, it's part of it. Um, the aesthetic of it tells so much about um, where I'm coming from, where I'm making from, and uh, for whom I, I'm, I'm doing it, you know. So it's not fancy. It looks like uh, any, anyone ca could be able to do it. Uh, but um, uh, it's also my own personal and intimate narratives that I'm uh, assembling in those videos, uh, in those films. Uh, and it's to me something that no one could take from me. So most, most of my uh, film work uh, is just out there in the, the, on the internet and I don't mind about it because to me, like knowledge is something that ultimately should be shared. Uh, like, yeah, uh, it doesn't, once a video is done, it doesn't belong to me anymore. Uh, and it's just uh, a matter of uh, making sure that this video fits somewhere so that uh, I can contribute to uh, ongoing conversations embodied or verbal conversations i think you you keep sort of i think you're downplaying it a bit i know it it, it maybe does look kind of easy to do but it's definitely i definitely don't think it is um and you obviously have like a very good um kind of grasp of sort of like you've mentioned rhythm before and i think rhythm and pace and um it's yeah i don't think it is quite as easy as you make out even if it looks like it um i guess a link um, between one of these videos um, and also you've talked a few times about um, I mean in part partly the reason that you make them is um, to um, make these art spaces a little bit more humble you know that it's very mm -hmm. all these things are very uh, everyday um, and you're making these spaces which are obviously traditionally um, white and upper class and you're trying to make them sort of accessible um, and I wondered as a kind of bridge from this, what um, the last video of yours that I watched, actually, um, I'm just going to remind myself of the title, which was called Out of Order, Please Do Not Use. Mm. Um, that was sort of quite directly about one of these white institutional spaces, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, I wondered whether you would be interested in talking about that at all or like your kind of experiences with this space. Maybe like what the work... Um, like the process of making the work, like what did that do for you and how did that help um, maybe mediate your own discomfort within this kind of white institutional space? Mm 
I think and I hope that uh, uh, all of the work that I'm doing is inscribed and feeding, contributing to uh, demands for justice. So I very much focused on uh, black, queer, uh, co-parent uh, identities of mine to feed into uh, feed in, uh, or to make against uh, a dominant a dominant discourse uh, that is uh, inscribed in whiteness. So, with out of order, please do not use. Um, it is. It was very much a by note, uh, as I wrote you, uh, to this uh, institution life of mine. Um, it was a moment of my life when I had to break free, free from uh, white institutions, uh, to breathe, like very much to breathe again. Um, I've experienced uh, well depression, and then people, you know, people are really um, prompt on saying, yeah. Doing a PhD is hard, you know. Well, yeah, maybe doing a PhD is hard. I'm not um, downplaying this fact, but you know, when you are you are the only black uh, PhD uh, in your department, PhD student, and when you are the only black person, um, um, uh, I wasn't a staff, but uh, the staff uh, uh, of my department was completely uh, was not black at all. Um, and quite white, uh, predominantly white. Like, right? <laughs> um, so it was hard, but not only in, in terms of uh, representation, because I'm not uh, saying either that, oh, okay, it's a matter of making sure that there are black people uh, in, uh, in position of power so that uh, like people um, similar others or people looking like me could feel uh, more at ease in those spaces. I think it's a matter of um, decolonizing the pace. So I was talking about fast-paced fast of urban settings earlier, uh, but in terms of decolonizing work, uh, that um, uh, movement that uh, is now uh, um, uh, happening in, uh, in uh, university institutions uh, in the UK in, in, uh, in uh, particular, I think it's also a matter of not thinking that, oh, okay, over summer we talked a lot about uh, uh, how black lives matter, whether black lives even matters, you know, for, for individuals. Um, and that we came out, came out with a series of recommendations that it's not because you now have a series of recommendations that the work is done, it's going to, be, to take a lot of time and it's going to go through a series of measures that are more or less violent. Uh, for people uh, in uh, positions of uh, power uh, to try to decolonizing uh, in, uh, in university spaces. I'm not even sure if it is uh, something that can be done within the structure of uh, spaces that have been uh, actually um, uh, constructed uh, by white male, uh, by white cis male in, in, in um, men men uh, in particular for themselves uh, to study uh, the others. So we, we, it's, the history of anthropology, ethnography is really interesting for uh, to get to know better, you know, how white imaginary uh, about the others, but also very much about themselves has been constructed uh, within the boundaries of uh, university settings. So um, 
to me, uh, it was quite interesting because I had to disengage from this space that was a hostile space, hostile environment for me to develop my research. I don't think, like my research was focusing on black non-binary um, non um, experiences from a per uh, performance studies point of view. I couldn't conduct this research uh, in this setting because I've had to, uh, I've, I've had too much, to make too much uh, racial translation um, for people uh, in power, so the staff, uh, to understand what it meant, like the value, to understand the value of, the, of this kind of research. So it wasn't even like researching that was hard. It was making sure that there, there was the space for my research to bloom. There wasn't um, um, so so much um, distrust uh, about uh, the potentiality and the need for decolonizing work, um, and uh, uh, led to led me to having to disengage from these spaces. And I made the by note actually with uh, footages that I, I um, took uh, just before lockdown uh, of me. Uh, very much uh, feeling uh, uh, out of space, out, out of place uh, in these settings, not only because of representation, but representation is a thing, but also very much about um, uh, ideologies, uh, very much about, uh, you know, support, caring uh, systems that were not in place for uh, me or, and perhaps for, other, for others but I'm only talking from my own positionality um, to feel uh, that they could like, uh, uh, create knowledge and share it in uh, different ways. So not only like, uh, what is the expression by the book, uh, doing by the book, not only doing research by the book, like, oh, you know, uh, book written <laughs> by white people for themselves, you know, but also doing research for, uh, people that are non-academic uh, or for people that just have uh, an imaginary that is not restricted to uh, white script. Um, so me, I'm just going to say that it's a matter of representation, but also of making sure that the forms uh, that uh, are being reproduced within uh, university settings are not uh, just comforting uh, the status quo, but that uh, we are actually like pushing further uh, to make sure that uh, you don't have to write uh, a, I don't know, 80,000 uh, word document as a thesis to say that, uh, you know, you've, do, you've done um, your research correctly, you know, and there is no correct or not correct anyway, but uh, just uh, to say that um, there are so much more um, uh, inspiration that we can take from the arts world, you know, uh, and pour into uh, academic institutions. Uh, so much inspiration that we can take from uh, non-Eurocentric ways of uh, understanding uh, knowledge, of uh, conducting research that we can pour into the white UK and, uh, university system uh, so that they, and they uh, being uh, the subtitle for uh, people in position of power that are often white people, uh, can understand that the way they see the world is not the only way, you know. So it's about um, opening up forms uh, of knowledge so to actually um, let people, like uh, well, UK system, I have to say, but also university should be free, obviously. <laughs> um, but um, uh, 
it's not a matter of uh, just putting uh, uh, black people in position of power, but very much about making sure that uh, people with different alternative ways of seeing the world can uh, be welcomed, you know, without having to say thank you, you know. Um, so for this, uh, I must say that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit uh, my uh, understanding, uh, my experience of uh, UK uh, university system uh, at PhD level has been harsh. Uh, but I'm going to be to co-edit uh, uh, a journal uh, that uh, will not focus on uh, academic uh, articles. So that will be my bit of uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, engage in this conversation and make sure that uh, there is a platform for people uh, that want to disengage with uh, violent ways of uh, reproducing knowledge to have a platform of their, uh, of their own, on their own terms, you know? Yeah, um, that was really well put, thank you. Um, I was thinking as well about um, just in terms of um, producing alternative ways of knowledge and, and, and different spaces, you, you've currently, am I right in thinking that you've currently got an exhibition on uh, in Coventry or one that's just closed? Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. 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 Um, was that partially closed due to lockdown and you had to kind of re-articulate it or like rethink, rethink about what that could be? Yeah, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that process mm -hmm. and, um, um, and yeah, how has, um, I guess, adapting to a particular set of circumstances mm -hmm. um, helped create some sort of useful alternative? Mm hmm yeah, I think for this, I must say another, like, a, I must say another thank you to Aeon, <laughs> uh, because I grow more, uh, like, more humble, more flexible, you know, in my way of approaching life uh, in general. Uh, so that uh, when my, the show was on at uh, Coventry Arcadia um, City, Coventry Arcadia City Gallery, um, and that we first had uh, tier two. Uh, uh, of uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, regulations uh, happening in the city and that we could only welcome um, uh, one household or one individual at a time plus uh, an artist to have uh, conversations during film sharing and, uh, and conversation. Uh, that was a challenge, you know, but uh, we didn't, uh, we, we, we didn't, you know, uh, just, uh, I don't have the expression, on n'a pas seulement traîné des pieds, uh, for, uh, uh, to make sure yeah, that not, uh, not dragging your feet, right? We didn't just drag our feet like, oh, okay, it's going to change. It's going for 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 the worst or whatever. We just change things uh, uh, to make sure that uh, people will will feel safe and also that we will obviously comply to uh, COVID nineteen regu regulations. But uh, we took the you know the feeling uh, the safety feeling uh, a bit further because. Um, uh, uh, because uh, of uh, you know being from different underrepresented group, to me being uh, creating a safe space uh, had the precedence before COVID uh, situation, you know. Uh, so actually, for uh, people, um, for um, uh, black people uh, and also uh, people from Asian descent uh, coming to the space, it wasn't. Uh, it, it felt actually extremely good. To be um, to have such an intimate setting with an artist and to be able to just share um, a discomfort uh, following a, a film sh uh, screening, film sharing, uh, of uh, you know um, not 
of being able to say that, oh, well, this I didn't understand, you know, or uh, this uh, I wasn't comfortable for this or that reason, um, and not being in a group uh, of people that uh, are pretend, so, some people in groups, you know, they are more extrovert than others, and some uh, that are used to art spaces also tend to, unfortunately, uh, create an atmosphere that is not welcoming for those that are, uh, come to uh, this kind of spaces for the first time or for, you know, for uh, one of the first time. So just being able to be uh, with uh, people uh, in this uh, like sort of family, family bubbles really because uh, the most that we were together during tier two was four, so it was me, um, uh, an artist sharing uh, their films, uh, and then an household and the maximum house, uh, members of household that we had was two uh, in the space. It was a, a privilege to engage in this uh, level of friendship, family-like conversations with people, and not being in the, like, not having to um, buy into, uh, like, the performance of knowledge. Really, the performance of knowledge when you are in a, a group composed of people that are used to art spaces or like that are knowledgeable about art according to whose rule? rule? <laughs> I don't know, but you know. Um, so I felt that people and uh, that people were feeling more comfortable. I was feeling also extremely com comfortable in this setting. It was tiring. I'm not uh, going to say otherwise because we had to like rewatch the same film ten times. <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah, there is a value and there is uh, a beauty in having to, especially because uh, I'm coming from performance arts, right? So uh, for me, it was very much also uh, a performance, uh, like giving, um, putting myself at service of the other, you know, um, that amount of time. And every, every uh, film sharing, uh, depending on the time, would never be the same. So it was a matter of like making sure that my body was, was uh, vacant uh, for this precise group, uh, that my mind was wide open and that I, I would be able to hold the space as much as I could to care for the moment that we share together. Um, so that was tier two and then lockdown. Uh, but, you know, we tend to, I, I do understand where it's, where it's coming from, you know, when we a bit sad about the fact that uh, art spaces have to close and everything. Uh, but um, uh, we do live in a, a circumstances where it is actually safer. Uh, to make sure that people, um, and including myself, that we don't engage in uh, uh, like high volume of uh, social interaction, physical social interactions, uh, to reduce the spread of the virus. So it's about like once again, you know, contributing, like trying to make my part, and uh, for the gallery to make uh, um, uh, its part. Uh, in uh, closing the space, uh, not only like thinking that oh this is the regulation, so we're just following, but like also understanding where the regulation is coming from, you know. So we decided to move uh, partly online. I wasn't really happy about that, but uh, you know, a change, change must happen, you know. <laughs> so I'm advocating for lots of change, but when it comes from to me, from, <laughs> to, uh, when it comes to having to change myself. <laughs> I was not a militant. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've had to do some performances that I would have loved to have um, in, uh, in space, in TTU, like feel people and people's energy um, uh, via Instagram. Um, and uh, we're gonna have a 
did Zoom event uh, Saturday, sharing a film that I made with uh, 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 an artist in Martinique. Well, uh, the good thing about the, the film sharing is that actually my um, friend, that is uh, Jeremy Priam, a mixed media artist in, uh, based in Martinique, are doing a beautiful work, highly political, about uh, human existence uh, um, and um, lots of environmental justice also in his work. And uh, yeah, so the good thing is that um, Jeremy is going to be able to be in the space with me to talk about the film. So, well, yeah. Uh, sometimes there are some good about, uh, you know, moving everything online uh, to protect ourselves and to make uh, a safe space for all of us. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for uh, answering my questions. It's been uh, a real pleasure to talk to you. And um, the word that's kind of kept coming up uh, again and again is humble. And I think it's just very um kind of humbling to listen to you speak and share your experiences and uh so yeah thank you very much i just thought i'd ask um maybe before the end whether there was anything else that you wanted to say or talk about or um mm. yeah there was something that came uh, to my mind that i didn't say um is that um uh, so my inspirations are, are uh, partly uh made from a family uh, members and all but also from uh, artists uh, that I've had the chance to meet and um, uh, academics as well. And uh, I think that in my work, part of uh, making sure that uh, it is understood uh, and framed in an interdependency uh, way, um, it's really important for me to um, be really transparent about my inspirations. So for example, oh, well, you won't be able to see that much. For example, on the wall, there is a, a rather long list uh, with poor, uh, poor Ami, poor Grada Kilomba, poor Mamou, poor Sarah Ahmed, poor uh, Charlie Antey, poor Yara, poor Edouard Glissant, poor Veronique Canor, poor Ryan Christopher, uh, poor Eol, poor Aimé Césaire, poor Jane Bennett, poor uh, Bell Hooks, uh, poor ceux qui ne sont plus là, poor ceux qui ne sont pas là, poor moi, poor Trin Minha, for Nick, for uh, uh, Barbara, for my community, for uh, Charles, JB, and Yunan. Uh, and, uh, like, well, the list is quite long, but it's really important for me to uh, share the love. Like, really, it's about sharing the love that I receive from people that I know, from people that I don't know at all. And I grew, I grew, I grew so much uh, wiser. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm wise, you know. But I grew so much, uh, uh, I grew full of inspirations for thanks to amazing beings. So uh, making sure that uh, I'm transparent with my uh, inspirations, whether it's me um, not updating but trying to update <laughs> uh, my bibliography on my website, uh, like making sure that it's uh, visible. Uh, my artwork uh, and also I exhibit um, during my sh uh, my show at Arcadia Gallery. I exhibited also uh, books uh, that offer to people to take away with them as well. Uh, back again to this uh, non-privatization uh, effort to, non uh, to, to not to buy into privatization of knowledge. Um, and a part of those books were also uh, books for little ones, you know, so 
I think it's just really important for in my work also to like to speak, to, to speak from a place of gratefulness and uh, to thank uh, this most amazing being. So that was uh, the only point that I wanted to. <laughs> Sorry. Amazing, and I'll take that opportunity to say thank you again to you. Um, it's really it's been okay. a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. That was our Artist of the Month, Melisandre Varin, speaking to programme producer Harlan Whittingham for this, the last episode of Live Out Loud for 2020. Thanks ever so much for tuning in today and for all of your support throughout this year. We're still finding our feet with podcasting, but it has been an absolute pleasure to engage with you all via email and social media at Access Web over the last few months. I'm going to sign off now, wishing you all a very, very safe and happy seasonal period from all of us here at Access. And we hope to see you again in 2021. Take care.